Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode number 138. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Nathan Mercer, the guest tonight. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for, uh, for joining us, Nathan. No uh, worries. Always good to have you here. Now, just for those who... Uh, Maybe don't know who you are. Where do you fit into the technology world? So uh, I actually work at Microsoft. Um, been there a few years. So um, take that with a grain of salt when we talk tonight. Um, but yeah, so work at Microsoft as a technical evangelist around Windows. Excellent. Well, it, it's uh, it is helpful having you having you on the show because uh, you usually have um, jumped in a little bit deeper than most on uh, on the latest things from Microsoft. And of course, last week was uh, was the build. Uh, Event in uh, in San Francisco, and uh, that was where uh, the Windows eight point one beta. There was yeah, there were a bunch of things that uh, that really came out uh, last week, and we wanted to chat through uh, some of those. Yeah. Now you you were straight into Windows eight point one. You've put the uh, the beta version onto your uh, Microsoft Surface. Yep. And you've got it on uh, no doubt one or two other uh, other devices yep. that, that so are floating floating around here at the moment. Probably got it on about a. Ten different devices at the moment. So uh, greedy. How do you how do you do that? You must have to have more than one uh, live ID, right? Because uh, you can only normally fully link about five machines. I've got a special live ID, Paul. Oh, and, uh, and in fact, one of the things that we announced at uh, at Build is that there will be a way in Windows eight point one for developers to publish their application to more than five Microsoft accounts. Okay. So that was one of the little tidbits that was that was announced. Yeah, because one of the things I find we get a lot of machines in here to play with, and I'm always, you know, I'm always hitting that limit uh, when when I've got you know a few machines that are my day to day machines plus machines that come into uh, test as you you run into yeah some limitations. So run us through the sort of highlights of uh, of well, Win- Windows 8.1 that uh, I, you I think- guess for everyone out there, the important thing to understand about Build is it's a developer conference. So you know it was all about Windows. It was all about Windows Azure and um, yeah, and Bing was also quite a big thing there as well. But I guess for us, um, you know, here locally, it was the time where we actually released the public preview of Windows 8.1. Um, which is now available as a you know as a free download, um, and the way that I would think about Windows 8.1 is is it's really refining what was inside Windows 8. So same Windows 8 code base, you know, similar to Windows 7, um, but um, maybe a bit more intuitive, a bit more efficient, a bit more fun, a bit more productive than what uh, Windows 8 is. Um, so it's a yeah available free from the store now. Um, so it's it's a beta. A beta version, so it's not final, but uh, within whatever space of time that uh, the powers that be decide, that that will become the official release of of Windows. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I guess we're next, um, next few months. You know, we're really we're we're really testing the distribution of it through the store. It's the first time we've actually done an OS distribution through the store. So uh, it's different than Windows Update. You actually download a you know you download essentially a hotfix from preview.windows.com and then that makes the 8.1 update appear inside your uh, Windows store. Um, it's about a 2.5, 2.6 gig download. Um, and yeah, so you seem to be re- reasonably seamless to uh, to to install. Took me. Um, uh, I've, I've got it sitting on a USB three key here, and on my Surface Pro, it took about ten minutes to do uh, ten fifteen minutes to do an upgrade on mm. my um, Acer W three tablet here, the eight inch new eight inch tablet. Uh, off that USB key, it took about forty five minutes on my Surface RT across the internet. Uh, it was maybe an hour and a half and about five or six reboots. Yeah, yeah, so, I noticed there were, there were definitely a number of uh, reboots there, and you've got there's a language setting that you've got to have in a in a particular way for it to work because being a, being the preview, this isn't sort of across all the different uh, languages, is it? Yeah, I guess there's there's a couple of things to understand. Um, a, a bunch of the different Adam Clovertrail based Intel devices right now, we recommend that you don't upgrade to Windows 8.1 on those. We don't actually block it, but we don't recommend that you do the update, and that's to do with Intel graphics drivers, which will be fixed uh, shortly. And we've only released a, uh, um, you know, a series of languages uh, for to do the 8.1 upgrade right now, and English US is the only English language. So if you've got English New Zealand or English Australian or English UK installed on your machine, you can either wait a little bit longer till we release the update, or you can jump through some hoops to 
make the update apply on your yeah. machine. Yeah. It's just it's the kind of first time we've done this um, and the the localization stuff just comes on a little bit later. Cool. Uh, so in terms of the highlights, what, what are the, uh, you know, the, the top things from your perspective? Well, I think one of the, probably the biggest things is is that we're going to see we're going to start to see Windows coming out on uh, on new form factors. Um, you know, it's seven to ten inch tablets. So this will really be the f- and you know the, the the Acer one that I've got here and the one that we you've talked about previously. It's kind of the first first cable for the rank around there, and you can expect all of the other you know PC OEMs to release um, you know mini versions of, of their of their tablets. Um, and basically, Windows 8.1 is designed for them. It's designed to work uh, to work in portrait. The Windows Start screen kind of moves around, and it's actually a really great form factor. I love the kind of seven eight inch device. I think they're going to be really popular. Uh, it's the biggest. You know, you think that uh, PCs are dying and tablets are growing. Well, the seven to nine inch uh, area of tablets that's the most growth that's happening in tablets is in those mini. Many sort of sizes. Absolutely, so. and I mean that, that was why Apple came out with the iPad Mini, you know, in the second half of last year because the Android tablets in that uh, space were selling so well. Yeah. I guess there's two sides to that. One is that that form factor does work really well. People really enjoy, uh, you know, using a device of that size. Yes, they're, they're lighter, um, thinner, cheaper. You know, you can hold them all day. And I guess I think cheaper is a pretty yeah, important and that's point the as flip. Well. So that's the other side, isn't it? Is around is around the price. Uh, so. So, yeah, good to see. So, I guess uh, there being more competition in that uh, in that size. I guess Windows tablets are going to sit at a higher price point though than what we're seeing in terms of uh, Android and, and iPad. Well, I guess um, we would argue that they are they are higher quality, higher build quality. They've got USB ports. They've got a full version of Windows. All of the um, they're going to come with Office. All of the seven to nine in, inch versions actually come with Office uh, built in, mm. which is obviously uh, you know one of our value propositions is is, is being the best tablet for productivity. Um, you know, and that, and I guess that also plays into what we've done with Windows 8.1 for RT, which comes with Outlook 2013 built into it now as well. Right. Um, so I guess you know the first thing that you'll notice when you actually get into Windows 8.1 is we've got a, a new start screen, new tile sizes, so you can have a, 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 a wide tile and a small tile. So you've got four tile sizes now, and you have a big one for the desktop. Can right? have a can have a big one for the desktop. You'll yep. see you'll see that in actually Windows uh, Windows R, Windows 8 RT 8.1, um, the desktop tile is actually removed by default now. Uh, you can still get to the desktop, but the the tiles uh, tiles gone. Much much easier. You know, one of the bits of feedback that we had is, you know, we want to personalise the start screen and make it your own. So it's now a lot easier to to rearrange tiles, to multi select, uh, to you know, to drag those things around. Uh, much easier to name groups, the old kind of program group style uh, style thing. Uh, and probably one of the coolest things is we've got these things we call start screen tattoos, which are kind of like a moving animated uh, background in the, in the start screen. And and one of the other cool things we've had a bit of feedback I about had another operating system that had that a year <laughs> or a few back. Uh, yeah, yep. something from Google. Yep, yep. And um, one of the other you know bits of feedback that we've had is you know maybe it's a bit too jarring for people to jump between the modern immersive environment and the old Windows desktop. So so one of the things you can do now is you can you can set your desktop background screen to be the same background as in your start menu. So when basically when you're in your desktop and you click on start, your your tiles basically kind of hover over and fly in, and it doesn't feel like you're moving between these two two different worlds, the old and the new world. Yeah. Also, uh, one of the things I found on uh, on my Surface is the uh, you know when your machine's locked, you can have the you know basically pulling images and so on yeah, through. Yeah. So, so one of the new fe- one of the new, I guess there's two new features on the lock screen. Um, you can take a photo now from the lock screen by sliding down. I think it is. Um, and yeah, it becomes the world's best photo frame because it's cloud connected with SkyDrive, and um, yeah, you can just have it going through all your photos in the, in the background. So, pretty Pre- cool feature. Pretty expensive photo frame, but I guess it's thrown in for free, right? So you, you can't <laughs> complain too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that that does look cool. Although it was selecting some pretty uh, r- rubbishy photos, I guess you've got to have it. You've got to have a nice uh, photo library for it to be uh, hooked into, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, we've also got a pretty interesting new um, search experience with this kind of global search through Bing. So now when you go into the search charm inside uh, Windows 8.1, 
um, you know, previously it would kind of by default it would only search through your apps. Now it searches through my apps, my files, my settings, my SkyDrive, uh, and what's on the web. And so it kind of gives you this pretty pretty interesting kind of immersive experience. Like for example, if I type in Auckland, um, I'll see the weather, I'll see photos, I'll see Wikipedia entries about Auckland, um, as well as any documents or photos or f- files that I've got on my PC related to to Auckland. Likewise, if it's, I- a, it's a pretty nice experience actually. That when it when it is some when you trigger. You know, I guess whatever those things are, you're picking a particular location. Location, uh, band, mu- band music, names. So like if you type in band a band name, name you see yeah. all the Xbox music uh, features pop up. Yeah, that's really nice. You can, uh, you can disable it with a group policy if you, if you want to, but it's, um, it's on, on So it's by flexible default. for businesses to yep. sort of tweak as they, yep. as they wish. Yep. Yeah. And I guess, you know, one of the other things about, you know, personalizing is a lot of people said to us, we wanted to have a way to boot to the desktop directly. We don't want it to go into the start screen. So you can boot to desktop now. You can have the start uh, screen going into the all apps view. So um, that, you know, in itself displays more apps than the Windows start menu, you know, from Windows 7 backwards ever could. Uh, And when you're in that all apps view, you can actually switch between multiple different views. I can see my apps that are most recently installed, the ones I use the most, or by categories. So heaps more flexibility around the you know, the look and the feel of the new Windows 8.1 start screen. And, of course, you've got the start button back on your taskbar. And one of the little things that I love on the um, on the taskbar with the start menu now is that on a touch machine, I can tap and hold on that and bring up the power user menu, which was impossible to do in Windows 8 because you couldn't hover and touch at the same time. So right, that's, yeah, you had to use a mouse to get that right with yeah, the right right click yeah, sort of yeah. thing. You yeah. could actually do it by going into the on screen keyboard settings and going into bring up the the non you know the the old school Windows on screen keyboard, which would give you the start the start button on oh, the on screen okay. keyboard, yeah. and then you could go Windows key X. But now it's much simpler. So, and one of the cool things there is I can now you know I can obviously get to the command prompt and control panel and device manager and disk manager. Uh, I can also and you've got a shutdown on there. I, haven't you? That's what I was going to say. Is yeah. you can do shutdown and restart directly from there as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, look, yeah, because I think that's something that people found. Well, where do we find start uh, shutdown? And yeah, it seemed to be a little bit harder to get to. So yeah, I mean, when we designed Windows Eight, yeah, we always knew it was going to be um, ambitious. We had a vision of what it was going to you know going to be, and yeah, we've really built on that ambition and refined it based on customer feedback in Windows Eight dot one. And 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 no doubt it will be refined more with you know ne- next year's release as well. Because I think you know one Microsoft's of the, sort of been talking about the sort of one, one of the big things that that Steve Barmer said in his keynote was get used to this rapid releases from Microsoft. You know, yeah, because we've op- been expecting it for a long time, right? But now we're actually seeing the reality of it. Yeah, across, I think it was not only just, you know Windows eight, but. It's going to be you know right across the board, I guess. Is I what think we're it seeing. was maybe only eight or nine months since the last build conference, mm. so that you know gives you a bit of an idea about how Microsoft has re-architected its teams internally and uh, come up with better tools and processes for delivering software at cloud speed, internet speed, which people want these days. Yeah, well, I mean, it, when you when you compare, you know, Windows being released every three or or more years compared to what. You know, others were doing that just, you know, wasn't flying. Yeah. And you know, I think with the big change of Windows 8.1, you know, there was all sorts of feedback on it. Uh, you know, there were plenty of people that disliked, you know, the change and so on. Uh, I think it was pretty important to have this uh, rapid release cycle if, uh, you know, if Windows, um, yeah, is to compete going forward. So sure, it's, it's, good, sure. it's good to see. Uh, and no doubt this sort of time next year there'll be... Um, that, you know, we, we can expect if this sort of cycle keeps up, that we'll be looking at the Windows eight point two or eight point five or something else, right? Something else, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, so you want to know a couple of other little cool features? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, hit us up. Um, I don't know whether you've seen all these, but um, on-screen keyboard now gets gestures. So and it also does like predictive text. So it uses the input uh, thing that we've had for a while with um, with character recognition. Like you know when you when you when you're writing with your pen, mm. uses a similar sort of thing as you are typing stuff in. It's kind of remembering which words that you're using, um, and it's so auto completing on the um, on the on screen keyboard. Yeah, that's nice. And it's also got gestures like for example above the. Um, 
above the letters on the on-screen keyboard uh, to do numbers. So if I swipe up on Q, that's one. Swipe up on two, uh, W, that's two. Mm, um, mm. And if I swipe up on the um, question mark, I kind of get all of the other characters you know, there. The, the pound key, the you know, open brackets, quest, you know, mm, uh, mm. all those sort of things. Reading list built in now, so that's yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I know other platforms have had it for a you know for a while, but it's cool having that on Windows now. So you know, as people are people have got busy lives, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're on web pages. You know, you forget what you've read, you want to share something with your friends. I can be in any of those things, and I can bring up the share charm and save whatever it is that I'm looking at onto my reading list. Yeah, I think that's pretty um, handy. Music, maps, whatever, and that synchronizes around all of my Windows 8.1 devices, whether it's a PC or uh, you know other other sorts of devices. Yeah, so ultimately we'll see the, you know that sort of thing on phone, and we're also seeing that sort of convergence, like we've seen with Windows Phone, where it's got some you know, some um, yeah reasonably capable backup uh, you know functions in terms of backing up your apps and, and, and other bits and pieces. Yeah, so, um, so we're sort of seeing the next version of that, but built into yeah, uh, so win, Windows 8.1. I guess you're referring to SkyDrive, and that's, um, yeah, it's built in. You don't actually have to go and download the SkyDrive desktop client now. It's just built into Windows 8.1. You so can, you can set, save straight to the cloud. Yep. You can set it to be the default location for storing documents, probably most importantly on Windows RT, which you could never install this, the, the SkyDrive desktop client because it yeah, was you a Win32 app. Right? Yeah. Now you've got a you know, full SkyDrive um, uh, built into that. And that's, yeah, it, like you said, it backs up your apps. It also backs up your start screen layout, which is super awesome if you've got a several PCs. Your start screen layout is the same across all of those. Yeah. Um, backs up your BitLocker encryption key, and in fact, every version now of Windows 8.1 has device encryption turned on. Uh, even the you know the the normal Windows 8.1 versions that aren't Enterprise and aren't Pro, they actually have the uh, the device encryption built into them. And as soon as you put a Microsoft account in, it uh, it stores that up in there. Um, the other pretty cool thing is that SkyDrive, you know, imagine a lot of people have got, you know, netbooks and devices with a maybe a 40, Smaller 60 gig amount of storage. SSD. They yeah. don't want to download their entire 25 gig SkyDrive onto their C drive. Um, the way that SkyDrive works by default now is it shows you all of your photos and files and documents, whether you're in the modern version or the desktop. And um, so that it indexes those and you can search, but it will only pull them down when you actually go and access the file. Yeah, so you're not having to fill up your uh, your local storage and yeah, sync unnecessary content. Yeah. Now uh, you're a pretty regular traveller. One thing we were talking about before was uh, telecom and their uh, ten dollar a day um, roaming deal. They've just extended uh, extended that, and they've got six dollar a day. Uh, this is the data roaming, $6 a day data roaming in Australia, and they previously had uh, $10 a day data roaming in uh, in a number of countries, UK, USA, China, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Uh, they've extended that to Singapore, Japan, Korea, and France, and uh, they also had Saudi Arabia in there. Is this handy for you? It would be, as soon as I get a telecom account, uh, <laughs> which is going to be going to be pretty soon, but... Um, because you know, this gives you effectively unlimited, you know, use of data un- to, 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 to a fair fair use. Unlimited degree. with inverted commas around. Yeah. Me. I, I certainly know of people that have used the unlimited overseas for watching big YouTube videos and have been sent a polite reminder text from Telecom saying that um, don't the, use the it possibly like that. breaking the fair use thing. But okay, but look, um, I don't know that I would describe it as uh, as a game changer. It's but it's obviously a, a big bet that Telecom are making. Sure, you know, it is expensive of roaming a lot of the people that I know will just swap out their sim and go and get a prepay sim when when they're overseas or personally what I do now is I carry around two phones one for my New Zealand phone which I basically don't you know don't use or, or mm. only receive calls and then I have a second phone uh, with a prepay in it so and that's what I, I'm sort of forced to do and you know in a number of countries that I'll visit regularly because you still need to be able to receive yeah, I guess the only thing you can't easily 
or so easily forward uh, your SMS messages, so you kind of need to keep yeah. a SIM card in. And I guess that. what we're seeing with that is, you know, services moving to you know WhatsApp and some of those services that kind of run over the top and just and just use data. Um, but certainly, you know, great deal. And if you're a telecom customer, uh, I'd certainly be looking at using that. You know, it's prob- probably a little bit expensive if you're on- if you're only using a little bit of data and you're away for a couple of weeks or a month, maybe a little bit expensive. But um, it's certainly handy. Yeah, well, there were, I mean, there were, there were certainly worse situations in the past with, with some countries where you could probably spend a little bit less than that just to be getting, you know, basic emails and so on. But uh, there's a benefit from having that flexibility. Uh, I guess, the, you know, the competition uh, really is Vodafone, and they've, they've got some quite nice bundles when you're, you know, in you know, similar uh, markets. I mean, f- for me, the main ones are Australia and, and the US, and I find, yeah, it probably cost me actually a bit less than what it would cost on on telecom but that's because I'm you know, I'm not using masses of data so I can buy a block of of data when I'm in Australia um, you know maybe fifteen dollars and it's going to last me you know a good good few days yeah whereas I would uh, you know be past that on three days and on I think telecom, the, other, the other thing is you know when I travel to the US I still get surprised by the cost of data right I bought a um, two gigs of AT&T prepay 60 US dollars lasts for a month. Mm. You know, here you can get two degrees, last for six months, 12 gigs, $99. And I think we... Well, they do keep changing their plans, though, because, you know... but yeah, no, it's still a, still a fair point. Even if I look at the plan, the, the prepay plan I was on last time in, you know, in the US, I think it was maybe 2025 US for yeah. you know, for a gig. I mean, it's obviously a fraction of the price of... Uh, you know, of paying roaming charges, but yeah, st- still we're getting some pretty good deals comparatively now in that, New Zealand for that, buying blocks a day. That AT and T that is four G, but the problem is, um, you know, it's the US four G, not the New Zealand four G, and so that's a whole other can of worms. Well, it depends frequency. on yeah, it depends on the handset you've got yep, there, yep, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, but yeah, so there's, there's definitely still a lot of challenges around around that uh, international roaming side. Uh, now, another area in the travel uh, is these, um, you know. These e-passports we've moved to in the in the last uh, few years, and uh, I've finally caught up with the rest of my family. And my ten-year-old passport reached its expiry, and I've replaced it. So, yeah, I just had the same thing uh, with me. Yeah, so uh, a month ago, you know, finally, uh, you know, we, we can all uh, travel through the uh, the smart gate, um, you know, process. And uh, you've probably seen it as well as the new smart gate two, which they've been trialling. I think in, in Wellington for maybe a month or, or two and in Auckland for yeah, probably in the direction of, of, a, of a month. And the idea there is just to, just, just to speed up that process of, uh, of getting through, uh, through customs and yeah. uh, with talking to as few people as possible, right? Yep. And it's a great, great service. I actually haven't used the, the, the second edition of it. So, you know, the way it works now is you go and put your passport in and it prints out a little bit of paper um, you put then you take that bit of paper and go and queue up and then you put the bit of paper into another machine which takes your photo. Yeah, so and with it, the smart gate too, you those two processes just you know merge into one, and so you you walk up to the uh, you know the machine where normally you'd be walking up to a counter with a customers official. You'd hand him your passport. He'd have a look. He'd say, "Take off your hat, Paul. Do whatever um, you know," and would have a look and. Tap away on the computer and then you know put a stamp in your passport and hand it back. Uh, you know now you what you do with the SmartGate uh, two is you just put your uh, passport on the on the scanner. In my case, take your glasses off uh, and uh, yeah, it takes a picture, see if it matches up, and uh, hopefully lets you through. Um, I haven't seen any sort of. Uh, yeah, incidences from uh, sci-fi movies happening at the airports yet, where they say, you know, you are not identified, and they blow you up or anything. But uh, who knows what we can expect? Uh, I think you in, know, in, any, a, in a future where there are uh, no no real people standing around, it's all computers. Anything that makes it, you know, faster and quicker and easier to get through that customs experience is. Got to be, got to be good. You know, yeah. I'm sure that you've spent hours standing in LA or Heathrow. Oh, it's um, just, ho- it's, ho- it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, and there's all, there's always something that'll happen. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll randomly pick you to search your bags or, or whatever. But yeah, any point where they can sort of speed that process along definitely, definitely helps. Uh, I mean, the first time I went through the smart gate too a few weeks ago. I was still just trying to figure it out, and uh, it errored or whatever, and so the guy was like, oh, step back and start again. 
so there'll be a little bit of that as people get used to it. But there was no queue. That was the thing. There was maybe one person that you know went through just just ahead of me. Uh, yeah, but ultimately that you know, people are sort of the the, the bottleneck. And it's much cheaper for them, in theory, to have a bunch of these machines than uh, than pay salaries for uh, uh, for a bunch of customs officials. So I guess that means more people out of work thanks to technology, eh? Isn't that, isn't that just the story of our life? Yeah, pretty much. Actually, this morning, uh, there was a little event that I went to with uh, Air New Zealand and uh, IATA. Uh, IATA being the, uh, what are they, the International Air Transport Association, I believe, which is what uh, all of the, the airlines at Air New Zealand and so on are uh, of a part of the one bit that stood out from this particular spiel was around a new thing they're rolling out called NDC new distribution capability, uh, which sounds really naff, I have to say. But uh, it looks like we're gonna we're gonna see a little bit of improvement in the way that uh, going forward uh, that we do bookings and uh, and so on online for uh, for travel. And basically they're taking what is something that a lot of uh, tech heads will know, XML, a standard for uh, for communicating and sharing information, and they're going to start using that in the travel industry. Yeah, um, I guess in what you were saying before, Paul, it's, um, that technology kind of hasn't changed for for probably decades. Absolutely. I mean, um, you, you look at the, the, the systems that a travel agents use. And green know, screen terminal, oh, AS400. It's just really, really old school stuff. So this brings them, you know, uh, squarely into into the internet age and yeah it allows them to yeah, i guess uh, you know push much better information through to travel agents or or online booking system now we're just going to cut across to a segment of the discussion that i had this morning with tony tyler who's the director general and ceo of iata Okay, NDC is about um, developing new communication standards using XML uh, language to bring airline merchandising and distribution into the internet age so that the very rich display of of content and pricing and uh, schedules and everything which you can get today only on an airline website becomes available through the indirect channel through every travel agent uh, in the world. And this will make comparison shopping easy Easier. It will bring um, to the consumer full, rich information on the full extent of the airline's product, not simply its price and its schedule, uh, and will, will be uh, facilitate the business both of, tra- of travel agents and will bring huge consumer benefits through transparency, better comparison shopping, and so on. So that, that that's going to mean, uh, for instance, access to things like legroom and, uh, yeah, for instance, Air New Zealand sky couches, all of that sort of broader information whether there's you know uh, what sort of onboard facilities there are and so on so you'll be able to see all of that through whatever uh, you know platform uh, that you're looking at the information from absolutely when you when you when you go and uh, inquire about what's available on a particular route on a particular airline you'll be able to see you'll even be able to see a picture of the seats um, you'll be able to see the, the meals you'll be able to see what the how, how the fare changes if you want another bag uh, excess baggage or if you want to perhaps uh, have access to Wi-Fi or use the lounge or something, you'll be able to see in real time how the different airlines' products and and fares change according to what the consumer really wants. That's great. And, I mean, realistic terms, when do you expect consumers to be able to start taking advantage of this? Well, we're running pilots this year, and I expect wider adoption will will be uh, incre- will accelerate increasingly over the next two or three years. I, I expect within, in, in three years' time this will be seen as, 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 as nothing special. This will just be seen as the way people want to buy our tickets these days. Well, that was interesting. Always very good to hear from business leaders about how they're rolling out and implementing technology and, of course, uh, IATA having a huge influence on the uh, the travel industry as a whole worldwide. Now, one, one other area we've talked about in the past, and at CES earlier on in the year, there were a bunch of these, and that's um, 4K TVs, um, the, big, the big massive uh, resolution uh, TVs, or Ultra HD as it's being called. Uh, and we've just had a little bit of info through that we're going to be seeing um, a lot more of these become available in New Zealand over the next few months. So uh, Sony, for instance, have got a range of uh, a range of sizes of screens coming at this resolution. And in the next in the next couple of weeks, we'll be seeing uh, Samsung launch their big eighty four inch beast, which was you know I guess one of the the highlights at CES in terms of uh, uh, TVs. 
Uh, that launches here in New Zealand at about $50,000. Are you going to be lining up for one of those, Nathan? <laughs> I'm going to probably buy four of them. Yeah, I think I think you should. Replace all the windows in your uh, in your home with, with one of these TVs, and then you can just you know imagine you live in any city in the world. Still not as good as reality, is it's it? It's a lot of money, but uh, I guess, you know, give it five years and they'll be, uh, they'll be cheap. I mean, interestingly, around that, Paul, um, you know, if I can just bring it back to Windows for two minutes... <laughs> I I expect nothing less, Nathan. All right. It was, uh, you know, one of the things that we saw at um, at Build Developer Conference last week was Windows support for high DPI screens. So, uh, you know, it's something that we've seen on the Mac for a while with their Retina screens, and and you know, it's something that's going to be a reality, you know, later this year and and you know, mainstream next year on Windows PCs. Yeah, we're know, just going to keep getting those high definition screens. High, right? Yeah, the high PPI screens, and I saw two machine. Uh, I saw two machines um, photographed at build. The Toshiba Kira, I think it is, which is a really nice, uh, you know, 2000, uh, 2000 pixel screen. Uh, and the Samsung one, which I think was Only 2000 pixels on the screen. You know what I mean. So you're talking virtually full HD, sort of hitting on virtually the ultra HD, sort of shooting right past the, yep. the full HD resolution, I think 2800? 2800, yeah. Um, pixels. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the cool things is that Windows 8.1 can handle, say, you know, moving between that, you know, that that size screen on your laptop through to like a screen you've got here in your studio, pull the, the, you know, 1080 screen, and it just automatically resizes the app as you drag it across from one window to the other so that it looks normal. Um, and we saw, like, for instance, Adobe, you know, uh, they're going to be releasing all their Creative Cloud with the high DPI support later this year too. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good to see. In fact, um, what we what we will do on an upcoming episode, because, uh, of course, Microsoft have moved into sort of subscription uh, you know, products, particularly around Office 365. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, Adobe have made their announcement in that space and moving very much to you know, no longer buying a box product, but uh, you know, purely around uh, uh, subscriptions with the new version of what used to be their crea- you know, Adobe Creative Suites, now the Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, so we're going to get them in for uh, for a bit of a, a bit of a chit chat on uh, on what that actually uh, means for everyone as well. Uh, now, a couple of other uh, little uh, little snippets. Uh, we spoke last week about uh, Orcon uh, Genius Go being a way you could take your sort of home line uh, with you and uh, yeah, basically have your home number linked through to uh, through to your mobile and get those sort of uh, yeah, effectively sort of free calls off your mobile. Uh, with voice voice over internet or voice over IP calling, um, one product that I missed uh, that I came across um, following that was that uh, Two Talk, who have a, um, a, a voice over internet calling service as well, have uh, they've got something called Two Talk Connect, which does a very very similar thing. It gives you an app that you can uh, you can run on uh, on your smartphone and uh, or or on your um, your Windows machine, for that matter, uh, on your computer, uh, and uh, and you can do your your calling through that and receive your uh, your call. So pretty cool. Um, it's always good when there's more than one player in the market. So we've got uh, we've got a choice or two. Uh, and another product that I've been having a look at is uh, a well, they we used to call these stereo back in back in the olden days. Um, they're called receivers these days, and there's um, there's I guess more than uh, more than two uh, two channels of uh, of audio. Uh, but I've been playing with a product called uh, a receiver from Sony called the uh, STR DN1040, and it's uh, it's launching here in New Zealand imminently. I think in the um, in the next week or two, if it's not out already. And uh, this, I guess, basically gives you a um, uh, full surround sound uh, um, based amp and it's got a bunch of HDMI connections in it so you know in the old days we'd have a uh, you know uh, you know various sort of sound signals running into our into our amp or receiver uh, but now you can basically run everything in with HDMI and uh, the nice one of the nice things about the uh, uh, DN1040 is it's got eight HDMI inputs so you can really have a all sorts of set-top boxes, MySky, TiVo, a uh, few computers, your Surface, uh, an Android phone. You can just plug all these things into it and uh, and switch between them, and it's got an on-screen uh, 
um, graphical user interface as well. So it's getting a little bit more visual. It's not just looking down at your remote and you know pressing one for TV and uh, two for your Xbox, three for your PlayStation. You can uh, you can do that sort of thing on screen. Sounds pretty cool, and that yeah. sounds pretty future proofed in terms of the number of HDMI components. I think I've maybe used about four, so having eight that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it is good, and uh, it's got things like um, 4K support. So you know if you do um, want to you know link that to your um, your 84 inch Samsung. Then, uh, then that'll handle that uh, that quite nicely. Uh, I mean, there is a bunch of sort of competition in this space, but a lot of the uh, the reviews and so on I've been reading online put the put the Sony, uh, you know, right up there as as a really good balance in terms of the sound quality, uh, the price, and the capabilities. And having that many ports is really cool. Uh, one bit that uh, annoyed me a little bit was when I googled this product. The first thing that came up were um, the US specs, which say that it's got Bluetooth built in. Uh, in New Zealand market and uh, European market at least, and maybe the everywhere else in the world other than the US, uh, Bluetooth is not included. Uh, so uh, I went to stream some music over the weekend. I thought, I'm going to try out this Bluetooth. And then I uh, soon realised that it didn't have, uh, didn't have Bluetooth. Did now, you ask, ask them, why is that a certification thing? Or? Uh, they, they, the the um, Sony guys locally said, you know, they didn't come back with, with any... Uh, rationale for it. There wasn't any rationale they could think of other than, you know, look, it'll probably, be, you know, they expect it to be in whatever models come out next year, but that's, you know, that's just how it is. Uh, so, I mean, in my case, I've got a little uh, a little Bluetooth box that plugged into my uh, you know, previous uh, receiver, um, and that's what I'll go back to when I, when I return this review model. Um, hoping they forget that I've got it. Um, but They won't, they won't now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, you know, and you can get these little, you can get a little, uh, you know, box. Uh, this was one I, I just bought from uh, Dick Smith, one of their little uh, online things. They didn't sell in their store. It was about $30, and, uh, you know, that just re- allows you to connect via Bluetooth, and then it just plugs into the audio inputs at the back of the, uh, the amp. So nice and easy. Uh, but it does have AirPlay built in, so, um, you know, playing uh, music and audio and so on from your iPhone, uh, you can just push that stuff through. Um, there are, I guess there are more sort of software bits and pieces that they, uh, that they could do, uh, but I'm reasonably happy uh, using my smartphone and my, you know, my laptop and so on to, to do most of those smarts in terms of apps. You know, people were saying, well, why doesn't it have Spotify built in, uh, et cetera, because it does have a little bit of uh, streaming, you know, online radio type stuff built in. Uh, but I think it's pretty hard to do that, and it's, it lines up with the discussion we've had in the past around smart TVs versus, you know, uh, you know set-top boxes and uh, smart boxes that plug into your TV sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, not too concerned about that. But, uh, yeah, worth, it's certainly worth uh, looking looking into. It's got some reasonably stiff uh, competition from um, uh, Onkyo is um, one, of the, one of the brands that sort of, you know, competes at um, uh, similar sort of price points. So those would be, um, yeah, two, two of the products uh, well, worth, well worth looking at. Uh, I think that just about um, just about wraps it up. Oh, we, now we did have a couple of other things. One um, which I'm going to I'll come back with a little bit more uh, info on uh, in a future episode once we've played a little bit more of a play around um, is uh, mobile wallet trial uh, with Telecom. I'm at the moment trying out a um, uh, a very futuristic uh, payment method. I've got uh, actually it's it's similar to what uh, what we tried out. And discussed on an episode oh, probably about a year ago with Two Degrees, uh, which is a Android phone with near-field communications built into it. And uh, at that point, we were testing uh, replacing uh, the Snapper sort of transport card that you can use in Wellington uh, with a phone, so you could make payments and so on through your phone. This one is very similar uh, technology, but in this particular trial. We are using the phone to act as a uh, Westpac MasterCard using their PayPass technology. Uh, so basically able to walk into anywhere that has that uh, MasterCard uh, PayPass. And I mean, most of the machines I think will do MasterCard PayPass and Visa PayWave, 
you know, interchangeably, which is just where you, you know, normally if you've got one of those cards, you tap the card on the machine to yep. make the payment. And I've, I've used it quite a bit in Australia. There seems to be a lot more of it. Uh, They've moved quite around, quickly around there to Sydney. roll them out, haven't they? Um, and I think maybe it's because they were never, you know, we had the kind of lead on FPOS. Uh, mm. And I think they've kind of skipped the you know, swipe FPOS and they've gone to the, um, you know, the pay pass thing that you're talking about. Um, just tell us, though, was it easy, though, to load, you know, after you've got the app loaded on, what mm. did you do then to get your MasterCard loaded? Did so you- this one this one was preloaded and I'm spending okay. telecoms money at okay. the moment. Okay. Um, but no doubt I'm going to get a bill from them at the, at the end of the month, you know, particularly if I get carried away. Okay. Uh, and, of course, I need to try out the feature of spending more than $80 because <laughs> uh, once you go over $80, you need a pin. So I'm I'm just thinking, you know, what more you know, than eighty what, dollars per transaction? Or, yeah. Or, so on an individual right. transaction, if it's over eighty dollars, you need a pin. Right. And of course, you're at risk if you lose your uh, your handset. That the secure element is kind of the critical piece with that uh, near field communications type payment that sits inside your uh, your SIM card. Uh, and if you you lose your phone with you know naturally that's going to have its have its SIM card in it, then you know people will be able to. Uh, yeah, make make use of that for a uh, uh, yeah a a period of uh, a period of time for those sort of smaller uh, transactions, the sub uh, eighty dollar type uh, transactions. I mean, much much faster than swiping, waiting, you know, putting your pin number in. It's much faster. Than oh, really it? quick. Yeah, I used used it at Repco today, and yeah, I was oh uh, uh, yeah, it's all done. And uh, yeah, no, it is really really nice, uh, especially with the the uh, cards now that you have to. Insert into um, and yeah, wait yeah. and and wait while it does its verification and so on. It is uh, it's much much quicker. So uh, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, as far as losing your phone, obviously that's going to be expensive exercise to do anyway with a, with a good smartphone. Uh, and on the flip side, you can you can lose a uh, PayPass Mastercard as somebody did the other day because I uh, picked one picked one up while I was at the uh, the petrol station. Uh, off the ground so uh, these things can happen Uh, needless to say my photo isn't plastered anywhere because I didn't go and uh, test out how much (laughs) I could uh, get away with uh, spending Xbox Music this is Microsoft's uh, music streaming service that's now accessible via the web right? Yep so that came out this morning for basically all the browsers and for Flash 11 so basically lets you um, if you've ever used the Xbox Music service on your Windows Phone 8 or on Windows 8 or Windows RT you'll see that you can basically have have cloud collection of music and um, you know, and it'll it'll match the music that you've already got stored on your PC uh, against the cloud. So it's basically just a web version of the app. It's it's pretty nice, as you're saying before. Um, they had the old Zune web service maybe a year or two ago. Um, yeah, it's really a, a and it a, and it competes with the with the likes of Spotify, uh, Google's music service, which isn't officially available in New Zealand, but that's another one I've been playing uh, playing around with. And you know, on your Android phone, with that, when you've got your subscription set up, you can either li- you know listen to music that's that's you know streaming off the net, or you can choose to download you know to your device. There's quite a bit of crossover between these various services uh, now, but it's yeah, it's good to see Microsoft, I guess, you know, taking it a little bit more seriously and pushing it out more broadly. And they did originally talk about it becoming available. Uh, on Android and and iPhones in the future as well. We still haven't seen that yeah, just they, yet. Have right. we? There's they no, did, no announcement. They did. They did mention that, um, but no, no, no actual apps as of as of yet. Um, but yeah, this thing runs on Firefox, Chrome, Safari, IE, and and anything running Flash. So I haven't actually tried it on Android. Maybe it actually works through uh, through Chrome on Android. I don't. I haven't tried it. Mm, no, I haven't tried that. And it'd probably be a little bit of a poor experience through a. You know, on a on a device of that size, uh, I mean, a native app is, is obviously a, a much nicer way to go. Uh, and uh, two other bits of, of, I guess, fairly fairly local news. Um, Vodafone have uh, have just launched a little uh, a little smartphone Android smartphone today, which comes in at a surprisingly uh, low price for its features. It's uh, it's ninety nine dollars. What version of Android? Uh, well, this one is Android uh, Android four point oh three, I, be- I believe. So it's not the ver- it's not uh, yeah we're 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 a couple of levels uh, behind, which you would sort of expect at that uh, at that sort of price point. Um, it's a little screen. It's a three and a half uh, inch touch screen, uh, gigahertz uh, CPU. So I mean, in terms of its uh, 
you know, its specifications. Yeah, it is a lower end. Uh, it well, is a lower end device in terms of its price as well. Um, but we, yeah, we, but we haven't we haven't seen a phone of these sort of specs in New Zealand at this sort of price point uh, before. You know, it just makes uh, smartphones that much more accessible. And but there is a little it's carrier locked. This is a little catch that I think. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, you know, we've we've been hoping wouldn't uh, you know wouldn't come to New Zealand uh, to to any greater degree than it, than it um, than it is already. Now, uh, Telecom's um, skinny mobile division have been uh, you know locking some of their uh, their their smartphones. You couldn't move them onto another network uh, without paying them some money, etc. Um, the smart mini comes locked to the Vodafone network. So, if you want to take it elsewhere, you can pay them uh, thirty dollars. You can actually pay thirty dollars more outright and just buy an unlocked one to uh, to start with. Um, yeah, or you can wait a period. Uh, I'm trying to remember what that is. It was it was six or nine months, and and at the end of uh, at the end of that period. Uh, you would be able to un- unlock it without uh, without the associated uh, charge. So, um, yeah, inter- interesting to see, but yeah, somewhat disappointing because it, it is it's really annoying actually having a handset that's carrier locked. Uh, very very much the norm overseas, and you know the reason carriers uh, do it. Well, there's obviously they don't want people to uh, to, to to change networks. Uh, but in you know, in some ways, uh, by putting that in place, it lets them subsidise handsets maybe a little bit more than they would have otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is obviously, like you said, that's um, you know much much more common. When I talk to my colleagues in the US, they've just got no concept of actually buying a, a phone outright, you know, off the plan. They're just they're into these kind of one year or eighteen month upgrade cycles, and they just don't even know what the price of a phone is. It's all just built into their you know monthly fee. Yeah, I mean, it is a very, very different picture in the US, isn't it? And they have they have situations uh, with with uh, locked products, I suppose, that are uh, yeah much much harder to um, unlock than what you know than what we than what we have here. Uh, yeah, you know, there, are, there are products there that will launch, and you know you buy the locked version or you get it as part of your uh, your contract. There may be absolutely no way to unlock it sometimes for sort of six months before they yeah. uh, they, yeah, they start you know making them unlocked in, in any form. So you can be really uh, yeah really quite stuffed in those regards, can't you? So we're not in yeah in quite a um, a position that's quite as bad as that. Now let me update that it runs Android uh, four point one. Um, it's a two megapixel uh, camera. And it's got um, four gigs of uh, of built-in storage, which can be expanded with uh, with micro SD. Uh, so yeah, I'm not actually sure who who's in pink and black. Oh, lovely! I'm not sure who's actually uh, who's actually making it uh, who's actually making it for them. Uh, but yeah, after nine months, you can unlock it at uh, at no charge. All right. And uh, one last uh, snippet. Now we've been talking a fair bit about uh, Fairfax over the last few weeks, uh, with with um, them, uh, you know, bailing out of uh, uh, publishing uh, PC World and Computer World and Reseller News here in New Zealand. Uh, and one of the discussion points that, that quite a number of us have had, of you know, we've been saying, well, when uh, Fairfax going to bite the bullet and start putting up some sort of paywall where people are paying for some of their content? Rather than just giving it away free, uh, because you know clearly they haven't uh, been doing as well financially as uh, as maybe they should have, and uh, this is potentially one of the ways to sort it. Um, so we've heard today that um, well from from today, uh, Sydney Morning Herald and uh, Melbourne Age uh, are putting up a a paywall of sorts, uh, so people are going to get free uh, thirty articles a month. And uh, basically, after that, they can either uh, you know get a, a subscription, uh, or they can uh, they can yeah they're really in that uh, that that subscription model. So they can pay uh, after they hit that thirty limit uh, first time round. They can pay uh, one dollar Australian uh, for their first month's access, and uh, and then you know going from there, it's fifteen dollars Australian uh, a month. Going forward, do you think this is going to work? I think it's uh, I think it's inevitable. Um, I think that um, 
people just need to get used to the idea of paying something for reading those articles. I think there's a big difference between, you know, um, almost like listening to the news on the hour at five o'clock, you know, those kind of bite-sized pieces that you might get on your phone, what's the latest news, what's the latest weather. Um, I, you know, I think there's a different experience of wanting to sit at your PC and actually read some articles in depth. At the end of the day, you know, those reporters, uh, you know, need, need to get paid. Um, you know, we've seen the MBR have had a paywall in New Zealand for quite a while, and I think it's working pretty well. It seems to well be working quite well for them. And I mean, they've, they've, you know, the stories that are everywhere else. I think it all comes. They, down, they tend to do without charge, but if they've got something quite unique, yes, it comes down yeah. to um, quality, and people will pay for quality. The commodity style news, like you know, like that you're talking about, people aren't going to pay for that, but. Yeah, if there's something interesting, people are going to pay. And, and, if, it, and, and if it's valuable. I mean, in the case of uh, National Business Review, you know, NBR is aimed at business people. In a lot of situations, a business will actually pay the subscription. So that's a little bit different from when we're talking about a yep. paywall for consumer-type content. Yep. And, you know, in that sort of situation, there, you know, there, there potentially will be a, a smaller uh, you know, a smaller number of people. And I think uh, we've seen, um, you know, some of the regional newspapers, like the like, likes of down in Timaru and stuff, they've also rolled out, you know, a similar thing. And, and I guess at the end of the day, they've got a monopoly, um, if you want to have the local news, um, there's only kind of one place you can go to get it. And if you're not buying it in your in your letterbox every day for a dollar fifty, you can get it online. Yep, that's uh, that's it. And you know, you're you're right. I mean, at the end end um, of the day, you know, something will have to change if uh, you know we're going to keep a, a strong uh, community of of reporters that are able to be paid. And we don't transition entirely to a, a sort of blogger type uh, bloggers and podcasters. Uh, yeah, bloggers and podcasters model. Although bloggers and podcasters might well put up paywalls as well. So uh, you guys <laughs> should watch out next week. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, just kidding. Uh, all right. Well, that that really wraps it up for this week. I think we've uh, we've got through anything. Anything uh, anything that you wanted to add in there, uh, Nathan? No, thanks. Uh Thanks for having Good, me. Because I was going to cut you off anyway, so we're out of time, and there's not a chance. So, uh, no, seriously, um, where do we where do we find you online? You're on uh, you're on Twitter. If people want to track you down, yep. so I am Nathan M on Twitter, um, and I also run the Technet NZ um, Twitter handle for for Microsoft here in New Zealand as well. So, and you blog occasionally. Uh, blog occasionally te- at Technet, uh, Nathan Mercer, N A T H A N M E R C R dot com. Excellent. All right. Well, that's that's very good. And you can track me down, Paul Spain, online. Uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter, uh, Paul Spain on there, and I'm on most of the other social networks, Google Plus and and the like. Uh, and I blog uh, via Geekzone at TechJungle dot com from uh, from time to time. Uh, probably expect a little bit more content from me um, um, in the not too distant future. Uh, probably be, be doing a few more uh, sort of online snippets to go alongside with um, yeah, some of the products that we're reviewing on the podcast. So thanks everyone for uh, for listening in and you can of course track down the NZ Tech Podcast at nztechpodcast.com uh, and, and also on, uh, on, on Twitter and facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. Alright, see ya. <laughs>